Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow and Grow. Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now he's rolling in the green. Like a like a good neighbor. Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Crouch here with Drew Dinsick. Today we're going to talk about Wimbledon and then we're going to break down an array of MLB futures markets with Paul Dalzell. But firstly, Drew, there's only two teams who I still support emotionally uh, and not financially, and that's the Collingwood Magpies and the AFL and Ons Jabur. <laughs> I don't even need money on her to support on. You have some money on her today. Uh, and, uh, and she got the job done against Elena Rabakina. As she said uh, in the post-game interview, would have liked her to win the last one at Wimbledon against Rabakina yeah. and swap it around. So it won a fair bit more. But all the same, was pretty impressed with her today. Thought she played uh, flawless tennis. And now as we take a look, at the outright odds, uh, she is the second favorite to win Wimbledon. The favorite is her opponent in the semi, Arena Sabalenka, who's plus 140. Ons is plus 225, which I think is a little bit long. Uh, but what do you make of the women's side of the draw now? Yeah, I mean, today was cathartic. Uh, we've exercised some serious demons. Um, not, you know, Even if she doesn't go on to win this tournament, which I still desperately hope for her because of how much I appreciate her as a person and a tennis player, um, I still feel like that was, you know, that was that was major getting over the hump, especially after losing the first set when the serve was on her racket. The um, the entire second and third sets were on her racket, and she's playing superlative tennis right now. If you just isolate sets two and sets three, that's the highest level I've ever seen from Monster Boer. Uh, which makes me think she is very, very live to turn that around on 24 hours and give Sabalenka everything she has. Uh, they've matched once in, uh, amazingly, they've only played once in their entire careers, unless I had the settings wrong, but they played at Wimbledon um, in 2021 and uh, Sabalenka came through, but Jabor has matured so much as a player between now and then, and her game has so many more, so much more variety that I think that's going to be pretty challenging for Sabalenka. She's not going to be able to power through it. She's not going to, uh, you know, be able to completely rely on uh, you know her service games and tie breaks to get this win, she's going to have to find some uh, some tennis that we haven't seen from her to get uh, a head-to-head win against Jabor. And the fact that Jabor is underdog status in this match makes me a little bit uh, more encouraged <laughs> to get involved. Um, for whatever reason, the pressure of last year's final and being the favorite, and particularly having one set in the bag, didn't necessarily suit her well. So the fact that she now comes in as a little bit of that underdog mentality, and uh, you know, with the kind of relieving some of the baggage of last year's final today, beating uh, Rabakina is, is huge. So it's now or never. I mean, this is it. Uh, I think she's got it. I think she's the bet tomorrow against Sabalenka. I'm going to watch that one extremely closely. It's going to be the match of the tournament. Um, and uh, it is effectively the de facto final 
as great as it's been for Von Drusova to get here, as amazing a story it is for Svitolina to bounce back this quickly, uh, coming off of maternity leave to to make runs in both the French Open and now a deeper run at Wimbledon is amazing. Like they, it really is quite a story, and uh, congratulations to those players. But uh, I don't see anything are close to the same level as what we have at the, uh, on the bottom side of the bracket here. So I think Sabalenka Jabor is going to decide this, and. Um, I'll take Jabor 2-1 over uh, the uh, the Belarusian uh, Amazonian. Yep, I like it. Firstly, the tennis market is just completely broken with the way that it's <laughs> pricing these matches and these outrights. Uh, one, Von Drusova yesterday was double Svitolina's price in the outright despite being a minus-135 favourite over her in the semifinal. And that stuff isn't – it's not one-to-one because sometimes players, if they do make a deeper run, they have more upside to come later. Like, it wouldn't have been shocking if Ons in round three, if she was playing someone like Kudamatova, might have been a dog there, but then a f- shorter price in the outright. But once we get to the semifinals and there's only two matches left, that's completely insane. And how that ties into Ons is that Ons was what she closed like plus 130, plus 135 against Rabakina, who is, I think, a better grass court player and rated higher than Sabalenka and has been shorter than Sabalenka in the outright all tournament, despite having, I think, some tougher matches to play. And then Ons dispatches of Rabakina and basically is impressive fashion. She can have waxed a 6-1 in the third set and was unlucky to lose that one game. And then she opens plus 155 against Sabalenka, who's the worst player. It just doesn't make any sense at all. That's come in a little bit now to plus 130. But as we pivot to our wake and cash plays, Javert Moneyline is still, that's still my play, going back to the well there. Uh, I think that she should be favorite here or it should be pick at absolute worst. I think... She's a strange player where it's weird to say this about a player who often doesn't have the power of her opponents, but I think her level on grass is the highest level because like, she does have an element of power. And when you add in her trickery, her slice game, the slice that really came into play in that one point in the third set where she went back-to-back with the forehand slice, just whipping it, and then uh, Rabakina tries to uh, backhand slice her way into it and hits the net. I think that the combination of just the way that she is playing, uh, the variety, uh, the way that she's playing, and then also the fact that she had to have exercised so many mental demons in taking down Rabakina, mm-hmm. uh, and now she gets a player in Sabalenka who has her own demons. Uh, even though Sabalenka has been playing like a top three player in the world for six months now, like she did absolutely bottle the French Open semi against Mukova from an almost unlosable position. Those double faults can come in at any moment and in the semifinal at Wimbledon, that'd be a pretty good opportunity for them to rise up. So mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the Demons matchup head-to-head, I reckon it's a wash. And then I think that Jabir is the superior grass court player. So I make her favorite here. Uh, very slight favorite, but I think that she will win. Uh, also like her plus 225 in the outright, because I think that she should be like minus 250 fair in the final, thereabouts. Uh, yeah. So all in ons, ready to get my heart broken again. But I think this time she's going to do it. What's uh, your play? Yeah, I, I I love that breakdown. I fully agree with it. I think uh, Sabalenka is going to be under pressure on serve a lot in this match, and pressure and Sabalenka and serve are not three words you want to say if talking about uh, a relatively close match. Um, so yeah, a hundred percent with you. Um, and God, I really hope she exercises the drop game a lot because getting Sabalenka running, trying to trying to move, uh, you know. Moving Sabalenka laterally, not a great strategy. Moving her in and in and you know, forward and backwards uh, towards the net, a uh, great way to get her off of her rhythm. 
Uh, and I, I would hope that that her team has her, uh, you know, dialed in for that. Um, <clears throat> Sabalenka not as quick as Rabakana. Like she couldn't really exercise that against Rabakana. So I thought that was pretty good strategically. Uh, in I'll take a, a swing on the other semifinal for my waking cash. I'm going to go with over two and a half sets here. Um, I think we're in for a pretty uh, elongated match. Um, no clear advantage to either of these two players. And certainly, um, you know, the fact that they are both kind of at this stage of the tournament for the first time. Uh, you know, you know, Vondrusova is a, a former finalist at Roland Garros. So, you know, she has, you know, a slate you know, kind of been there before, done that, but uh, Svitolina been on tour for quite a long time. Uh, and, you know, the margins between these two players are pretty narrow. I think Vondrusova uh, comes through 2-1 here, um, but uh, this looks like uh, there's going to take some time and some, uh, you know, uh, just in general back and forth here before we get to the decider uh, in this match. Uh, decent amount of history between these two players with Svitolina actually uh, you know, a, a notable head-to-head advantage uh, in the times they have matched up uh, between each other. But uh, a lot of that was, of course, before uh, either of these players got to this current form in terms of uh, grass game. So um, tons to figure out in this one, which to me spells an over. Uh, and the fact that you're getting a plus price on that, uh, I think, is pretty solid. I'm going to take a little Vondrus of a 2-1 uh, at a nice plus price as well, uh, in addition to the uh, over two and a half sets. Okay, I like it. I think, uh, I mean, I watched a fair bit of the Spitalanus, Fiantek, and Von Drusen for Bagula matches, and like Ons, Rabakina, and Sabalenka today, they were playing a different sport to the matches, uh, yeah. to those matches where I think that they were just at such a higher level. And look, it's best of three set tennis uh, and it's final. Uh, so anything can happen and nerves can set in. And we've seen what nerves have done to Sabalenka and Ons in big matches relatively recently. But it would be pretty shocking uh, if they were to lose in the final without absolutely bottling it. Uh, let's talk about the men's side pretty quickly because it's not... I mean, to me, at least, it's not nearly as compelling as the women's side because Novak is just anchoring it so much. But we are at the point now, we're pretty close to Wimbledon starting on the men's side, to borrow your gag, where <laughs> we are now just one match away from the inevitable final between Novak and Alcaraz. Uh, Alcaraz, uh, very impressive in taking care of Holger Rune in the first of what is sure to be many matches deep into Grand Slams over the next 15 years, I suspect. Uh, Novak had a little bit of a hiccup against uh, Herkax, but eventually took him down. Uh, do you think that there is any chance for Sinner or Medvedev to disrupt the inevitable final? Mm, no, <laughs> I think this is uh, I think this is Djokovic Alcaraz collision course, and. Um, I could go on and on about how to bet this. This is our only chance to really address what will likely be the final between now and Sunday. Um, it's Djokovic played center last year. It was a it was a five setter. It was a competitive match. Sinner uh, had the advantage in the first two sets before Djokovic basically solved his game and ran away with it. Uh, you could point to some of that being Sinner's mental fortitude, not being all the way there, you know, thinking a little bit about too much about the moment. Uh, and he's certainly kind of played a lot cooler getting to this point in the tournament this year, but he has played it new, buddy. I mean, this is the softest run and the weakest quarter by far. Um, and so the fact that he's here is, you know, good job. You didn't bottle it. Like it's, it's not as much a, you know, really a, a strong point of pride that he's playing especially well right now. And I think Djokovic uh, takes care of him pretty comfortably. The other matchup it's, there's going to be some people that try to make a case for Medvedev. 
He does have a little bit more experience at the slam level than Alcaraz just because he's an older player. He's been here more times. Uh, he actually has a head-to-head win against Alcaraz on grass. Uh, Alcaraz has only played like 15 matches or something on grass. Somehow, some way, they matched at Wimbledon back in like 2021 and Medvedev got the better of them in, in straight sets. Um, but Medvedev is not exercising a strong tactical approach at all. I do not know what he and his team are thinking, having him so far back and conceding so much of the court. Like Christopher Eubanks, the match was there for him to take today. It was unbelievable that 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 that, that those two players and that uh, you know lopsided of a matchup and the ma- the match was on Eubanks's racket for so much of that uh, contest was wild to me uh, and I think Medvedev is going to get played off the court. Uh, the drop shot that Alcaraz is deploying right now is phenomenal. You know what? You know what? When a, a drop shot is especially effective, Jay, when your opponent is standing a hundred miles behind the baseline, like I, I realistically don't know when Alcaraz is not going to have be able to use that tool in his advantage. Whenever the going gets tough, whenever there's a high leverage point, um, I think Medvedev he's gonna he's he's going to present some test for Alcaraz early, just because of his style is so different than uh, you know what what uh, Alcaraz has been playing. Um, but ultimately, you know Alcaraz coming through three zero three one is my expectation, which brings us to the key question, Jay. Can Alcaraz defeat Djokovic head-to-head now? I think the answer is yes. I was We teased this a lot in the, uh, in the previews for Wimbledon, and it was a matter of, well, if he can get there, I might bet it. Blah, blah, blah. I, I think the answer is yes. Um, I've seen enough growth. I've seen, I'm seeing a high enough level from Alcaraz in this tournament to tell you that it will be very, very challenging for Djokovic to beat him head-to-head here. And, of course, the shoe is on the other foot now in terms of pressure. The pressure is on Djokovic. He is going for the calendar slam. He is going for the all-time career record of uh, slams in tennis. Uh, and and in whereas the pressure and the nerves were entirely uh, on the favorite in Alcaraz at the French Open, which I think were substantially, um, you know, you know contributory to to his um you know physical failings uh now the shoe's on the other foot he's playing with the house money uh Djokovic is going to take him time to solve Alcaraz's game I actually don't even really know what Djokovic is going to do to solve it because it is very 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 good right now first set Alcaraz was off today his first serve was only hitting at 50 percent he still uh, found ways to uh, you know uh, just completely flummox his opponent in all of the high leverage points uh, and I would expect that it's going to be a, a pretty memorable and competitive final between these two, and I'm going to be on the dog. Yeah, I, I mean, the market's going to open Alcaraz plus 180, that type of range. I think line. bigger. I think it's going to yeah. be bigger. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. it'll be a bet if it's bigger than that, certainly. <laughs> I, I would have thought that Djokovic, Djokovic should be favorite, but I would have thought Alcaraz is in the plus 150 fair range, that type of range. I think that, yeah, he's definitely going to open bigger than that. And I think that Alcaraz, I mean, to me, he's got just about the highest level of anyone I've ever seen play tennis. Yeah. <laughs> when he's on, he's just, he's just unstoppable. There's absolutely nothing um, that he can't do. So, yeah, I, uh, I suspect that I will be on Carlito with you as well. All right, as we pivot now from London and Tunisia to Cincinnati uh, to talk some baseball. But before that, 
with NFL season quickly approaching, now is the perfect time to get your Roto World Fantasy Football Draft Guide to get ready for your draft and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason with updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more. Go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code DRAFT2023 to save 20% at checkout. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Selling smoothies is what I do. But for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too. So he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is... I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Let's welcome in Vaughn Dalzell, talk about some baseball. Thank you for joining us, Vaughn. Let's start off in Cincinnati and talk about Ellie De La Cruz, who is uh, the most fun player in American sport at the moment. He is plus 275 to win National League Rookie of the Year. Is there any chance, do you think, that he can catch Corbin Carroll, who is minus 300? I do think there's a chance, Jay. And you said it. He is the most exciting player in baseball, possibly ever any sport. I mean, 458 rocket of a home run, clocking the fastest triple in modern-day history under 11 mm-hmm. seconds. Uh, of course, he stole three bases on two pitches, including home. I mean, that's pretty normal, right? He does everything. Uh, so this guy has been putting all the highlights together. He has the hype. And it's kind of scary betting on a guy that has that, only considering he's played 27 games. And Corbin Carroll's played over 80 this season and played 32 last year. So Corbin Carroll obviously has a much larger sample size when talking about this race, making him the favorite and the success of Arizona this season, which was expected, though. However, Cincinnati, their success was not expected. This team was 62 and 100 last year. 62 and 100. They have 50 wins at the All-Star break right now. And a lot of that is because of De La Cruz. He's 21 and 6. When he's in the lineup, they're 21 and 6. He's averaged over a run per game. 16 RBIs, 16 stolen bases, four homers. Uh, he's pretty much done everything ass, and he's a switch hitter as well. So I think there are significant chances. It's a two-man race. Don't even look at Mac McLean or anybody else in this market. It is strictly Corbin Carroll or De La Cruz. Um, and I did place my bet on De La Cruz on Monday. And looking at the strength of schedule, lastly, benefits the Reds. They have the fifth easiest strength of schedule in the NL. Um, you obviously know the Central was really bad this year. Arizona, top 10 toughest schedule. So it really sets up for this to close the gap, and it's been closed. The gap's been closing over the last month. So, yeah, give me De La Cruz at plus 275. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. Only thing I can kind of sprinkle on top of that, Corbin Carroll dealing with some physical ailments, and it's only July. Uh, mm-hmm. We got a long way to go. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Corbin Carroll either be missing games or just not being, you know, being in there injured and ineffective uh, is going to impact his status. So I think this market gets a lot closer before we ultimately decide it one way or the other. Um, and uh, yeah, don't mind taking a shot at all on the long shot. Um, speaking of don't mind taking a shot on a long shot. Um, 
I'm ready to continue to pile up against the Dodgers here in the NL West. Uh, this it. team is overrated. They are minus 275 right now to win the West, uh, even though they're tied with the Diamondbacks. Um, yes, Corbin Carroll may be, you know, on the regret due for some regression and or injured. Um, but, uh, the Diamondbacks are a very good deep team. Uh, the Giants are not that far away from being competitive as well. And so I would say, uh, this is still going to be a, a really, really close race coming down the home stretch. How do you lean looking at the NL West, uh, champion overall? And do you think there's a bet to be had here? I, I'll say the Dodgers are not the Dodgers of past, but they still are the Dodgers, Drew. So it's like they get their respect in this market, the minus 275. I mean, I'm not laying 275 with the Dodgers. I may sprinkle the Diamondbacks here, but I don't think that the Diamondbacks bats are going to be able to keep up with the likes of the Dodgers when they get healthy because LA's got a lot of guys coming back here over the next 60 to 75 days. I mean, we're talking Dustin May, Walker Bueller, Noah Syndergaard, uh, Shelby Miller, all pitchers that they need, and that's where they've been kind of struggling because we've seen Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, J.D. Martinez. These guys are hitting among the best of the best in the MLB right now. But getting those pitchers back, Chris Taylor, Gavin Lux, Trace Thompson, that will help the Dodgers a lot, uh, in my opinion. But when you look at the Dodgers' remaining strength of schedule, 17 of their games come against the A's, the Tigers, the Nationals, and the Rockies. Uh, that is very ideal. Uh, then you, of course, got five against Arizona and seven against San Diego. So uh, I like the Dodgers schedule a lot. And right out of the break, how you said uh, Corbin Carroll's dealing with some stuff. Zach Gallon's been phenomenal. But Arizona goes on the road with Toronto for three games, on the road to Atlanta for three games, on the road to Cincinnati for three games, before they come back home to play St. Louis and Seattle, then the Dodgers. Uh, that is a ridiculous stretch to come out of the second half of the season for the Diamondbacks. So I think that's why we see the price this big right now. They expect to see regression start within the next two weeks here for the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Also, I want to throw out another team who uh, we haven't said yet, and that's the Padres, who are only, I mean, they're eight and a half back now. I think they actually have the best team in the division, given all the Dodgers injuries. Uh, so they're obviously they're coming from a long way back, but I think that number yeah. should be closer to 20 to 1 than 30 to 1. So I think that's worth a sprinkle. I agree that the Dodgers, I would be taking them over the field at the moment, but minus 275 versus minus 101, there's a big difference there. And I think <laughs> that probably the best bet at the moment in the division is the Giants at plus 700, who I believe in a little bit more than the Diamondbacks just because of the Giants pitching, the Giants' depth. They're going to have guys coming back uh, from the injured list like Thario Estrada, who will come back. Uh, and Patrick Bailey, who has been a revelation and should probably be the third favorite for NL Rookie of the Year, even though he's almost certainly not going to win. Uh, I think the Giants also, they have as easy of a schedule as the Dodgers remaining. So they would be the team that I would uh, fire my bullet on and also don't mind a little sprinkle on the Padres. Uh, let's talk about NL Cy Young, uh, which is an interesting one because I think both MVP races, uh, well, they're not decided. We'll talk about NL MVP, which I think is actually uh, not decided at all. Uh, AL MVP is decided so long as Shohei doesn't get traded. And even if he does, I think he's probably still going to win. But the, both Cy Youngs are wide open. Yeah. Uh, and the NL Cy Young, Zach Gallen, is the favorite at plus 240. 
That is an uninspiring bet to make at this point, <laughs> I think. Clayton yeah. Kershaw is plus 325, which I think would be fine uh, if he wasn't on the IL right now with a shoulder injury and he seems yeah. to have a six-week injured stint every season and he might be in the middle of it right now. He's supposed to be fine and come back, but you just never know with Kershaw. And that team is obviously, you know, they're planning for a World Series run. They don't really necessarily care about games uh, late in the season uh, if they start to get a lead in the division. And then you have who I think is the best pitcher in the NL, uh, and that's Spencer Strider, and he's plus yep. 400. And he was something of not a write-off, but he drifted a fair way because his ERA ticked over four. He's been on fire his past few starts, and all of a sudden that ERA is down to three, four, four. I think, Vaughn, that if Spencer Strider, if he gets his ERA under three on the season, which I think is about a three-to-one shot, uh, then I think he will win. Uh, but what do you make of Strider, and what do you make of this market? This Strider was the guy we talked about a lot to start the season. We said this was probably the best bet in the market with his ability to get the strikeouts. And what is he doing right now? Leading the MLB in strikeouts. He's fifth in opponent batting average. Uh, of course, like you said, he's getting the ERA back down now. We'll talk about the Braves as a team. But, uh, of course, they are the favorites. They're my favorite team to win the World Series right now. So him at plus 400, where I got that earlier in the season, around 600 and 800, I still think is a great bet here. Like you said, Gallon's unexpiring, uninspiring. Clayton Kershaw. Last five starts, a 4-0 four, four record, uh, 109 ERA. So, of course, that gets him in this mix with that record. But I don't think he's worth a bet either. But I can't dismiss the best long shot value bet, and that's Blake Snell, the fourth guy on this list. Sure. Blake Snell is playing some incredible baseball right now. If you haven't watched him, I mean, he's hitting his over, I think, six or seven games straight for strikeouts. So, you know, we love some of that over here on the player prop market. But he's climbed into the top ten in ERA, strikeouts, OBA, Hits, runs, and games started. I mean, he's done everything in June. This guy had a 0.87 ERA and 53 strikeouts in five starts, uh, one, two, four OBA, and only 13 hits, guys, in five starts allowed. Uh, that is ridiculous. And he started June, July out too with two wins and two starts. So uh, right now, the Padres, they start off the season terribly. As we mentioned, they have a lot of ground to make up. But if they do make up ground, it's going to be a lot when a lot of starts that Blake Snell makes. Um, so at 12 to 1, he is a good sprinkle right now if you don't already have Spencer Strider in your pocket. Okay. I'm going to go shopping today with my Ons Jabor winnings, and we're going to go uh, a, little bit of, a little bit of Strider and a little bit of Snell. This is a fantastic uh, way to kind of uh, put those, those to work. Um, what do you think of the, of the Braves overall? Is this uh, a team that is, you know, with this big of a lead at this point in the season, do they kind of – you know, take a month to regroup and then try to finish hot? Or is this a team that you think has the kind of mentality and the depth and, you know, the youth to just continue to truck to, uh, you know, a clear one seed in the East? Yeah, a lot of it is the depth and the youth. I mean, the one through nine hitters are ridiculous. Any given guy can hit a home run for the Atlanta Braves, and that's what makes them so dangerous, in my opinion. A plus 147 run differential. We'll talk about a one team that may have a fake run differential in the AL. We'll get to that. I know Drew talks about them a lot and likes them. But the Atlanta Braves offense is everything you want from an offense, in my opinion. The pitching has been there, especially with Strider. And a lot of the other guys that have stepped up around him, too, uh, the threes and the fours. But, uh, I mean, they do everything you want. If you're looking at some value picks, I mean – Maybe you go down the market and you take a look at maybe the Reds or the Marlins to be an NL champion. Uh, but, you know, they're very, very young teams uh, that are kind of starting to turn around now. The last month of the season for those two have been very inspiring. Uh, but I think the Braves are the class of the class in the NL. As we agreed on the Dodgers, you know, that market looks like it should be them. And they got guys coming back. 
Uh, but the Braves have had no issues all season with anybody. And when they're down by two, three, or four runs, they may be the best bet in baseball. Uh, that's the type of offense that they have. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to use the word all in on the Braves, but if I was to push the chips on one team, it is Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're primed to to have home field advantage, uh, to only have to play two series, which is the key there as well. Uh, and then obviously when Max Freed comes back, that rotation looks even more fearsome than it is right now. Uh, I think, firstly, on, on Blake Snell, he's allowed three earned runs in his past eight starts. Yeah. Great <laughs> yeah. Snell is that he only throws 33% of his pitches in the zone. And it just doesn't matter because everyone thinks that it's going to land in the zone before uh, before zipping out of it, and that's how he gets a 15% swinging strike rate. It feels with Snell that he puts so much traffic on the bases before getting the uh, inning-ending strikeout that eventually he's going to give up a, a grand slam or something. It's going to tank the ERA, but hasn't happened in the past eight, nine starts. He's just been lights out. I think with Snell... The fact that they won those last two games against the Mets heading into the break, that makes the playoffs a lot more realistic for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most importantly, if you're betting on Blake Snell and El Cy Young, heightens the chance that he's going to be on the team uh, through July 30, yeah. August 1, uh, because otherwise he's a free agent in the end of the year. And he would probably, along with Hayter, would be the most likely player to get dealt. But I think now that they are in kind of position to make a playoff run, uh, I think that they will hold on to him. Or at least that's definitely a favorite. I also don't mind them at 20-1 to 1 to win the NL. Uh, I think that that is a, a reasonable long shot bet just because I think they've got the second best team in the NL right now. Uh, yeah. They've got, they've got an easy enough schedule, uh, the Padres. Last one in the NL, we'll talk about Ronald Acuna, who is minus 350 to win MVP. Now, I think Acuna is clearly the rightful favorite, uh, but Mookie Betts quietly, or maybe not so quietly, has closed the gap a little bit in the past week or so, just hitting home runs for fun uh, out of the leadoff spot as well. He's bridged the gap now in OPS where it's 990 Acuna, 964 bets. There's a 0.6 Fangraphs war gap. Uh, Acuna, I think, is much more of an injury risk given that he gets injured almost every single season. Uh, Betts is a bit more durable. So I think that if you can get Betts at anything above plus 500, it's a worthwhile bet. I think that Acuna is rightfully the favorite. I think he's a 75% chance to win the award. But I think Betts is the clear uh, contender. What do you think about Acuna v. Betts v. anyone else, Vaughn? Yeah, I definitely missed the wagon on Acuna when all his odds went down. Uh, my preseason pick was Juan Soto, which is now 33 to 1. And I mean, I don't have, feel any confidence in that one and, or that cash out offer. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think Acuna is the right, rightfully favorite. Mookie Betts, the last two weeks, has uh, moved all the way from 15 and 1, 18 to 1 on some books, down to 6 and 5 to 1. So uh, I see the odds coming down. He's going to put up a career high year in OPS, probably in batting average, in home runs. He had 35 homers last year, he already has 26 at the all-star break. You couldn't tell in the home run derby, uh, but he is hitting the baseball very, very well. Um, and, you know, I laugh about it because I did take Mookie Betts, his over in the derby, take him to win it because he was having his career year, but just simply not a power hitter. But when he's in the game, he's getting on base. He's doing everything he's asked. And he's really been the best player for the Dodgers with uh, that trio they have there in the one, two, three spots. And I think you were talking about the two best leadoff hitters in all of baseball, and Acuna and Mookie Betts. Um, so, yeah, I think those two are the clear bets here. Wouldn't take anyone else in this field. Yep. 
I think uh, I think that is the right play. I'm sitting on a Sean Murphy 250 to one ticket, and he's leading the oh. NL in OPS as a catcher, and seemingly just drawing dead for MVP because uh, Peter and Beth have been so dominant. But uh, so it goes. All right, before we get <laughs> to the American League, a reminder that Sunday mornings mean MLB leadoff on Peacock. This Sunday, the Giants face the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Both teams hope to move up in their divisions, but only one can rise on Sunday morning. Watch MLB Sunday leadoff live at 11.30 a.m. Eastern, exclusively on Peacock. All right, let's talk American League. The AL East, every team is above 500 right now. The Rays yeah. are minus 275 to win the division. Only two games clear of the Orioles. And uh, I don't think you can rule out any team in this division, really. Even the Red Sox, they're not completely done yet. Uh, of these teams, Vaughn, which team do you believe in most at the prices to win the division or to win the AL? Yeah, I will say the Red Sox don't – they're not in the race, Jay. I mean, they're as much in the race as your Chris Sell, Chris Sell ticket is uh, for Cy Young, which was my favorite thing that's ever been said on Bet the Edge, by the way. Um, yeah, but <laughs> but uh, Boston on a five-game win streak, uh, so it makes the record 48-43 and 43 now, but – Mind you, three of those wins came against the Oakland Athletics. So what does that really mean? Um, the Yankees also just have maybe the worst June of almost any baseball team. 208 batting average, second fewest runs, only the Royals scored less. Uh, so, you know, they got a lot of injuries going on right now. Judge should come back. Stan's been banged up. Pitching's not that great outside of Garrett Cole. Uh, I think the best bet here, and I'm not going to lay 275. Like I said, the Dodgers and the Rays are very similar in these markets, but you got to try and look to see if there is value. I like the Orioles if we're picking a team here. I mean, the Blue Jays have all the bats. Their pitching hasn't been as good this year. Obviously, Gosman's been awesome. Uh, but Alec Manoa came back, looked good. Will he be as successful in the second half as he was in that first start back before the All-Star break? We don't know. Should I pick him in fantasy? Probably not. But the Baltimore Orioles are only two games back, and they've been rallying very well. They have a four-game series against Tampa in Tampa, July 20th to the 23rd. So I think that is the big series here. The Tampa Bay Braves – at this minus 275 price, it's not like Jokic winning the finals MVP, guys, how we were all on that. And we're like, we'll lay that price because that's 99% likely. This is way more open than that. So I like the Orioles. And if you were going deeper down the board, I would take a stab on the Blue Jays. With McClanahan and Glasnow being kind of banged up at the moment, the value is not on the raise. Yeah, I mean, crazier things have happened than the Red Sox coming back to win the East. Baseball has some absolutely insane swings from middle of the season to the end. Braves winning the World Series a couple years ago was unthinkable. Nationals winning a couple years ago was unthinkable. Cardinals back in the day were you know twenty games uh, you know off the division lead, come back and not only win the division but win you know go go on and win the World Series. So you know it, it's <clears throat> it's a long season. There's a lot of games left. Um, AL East to me, I think there's four playoff teams in there. The rest of baseball is pretty bad in the American League, uh, and I think only one team's going to get in from the West. So uh, going to be a very, very fun fight to watch that thing come down the wire. Uh, do you agree with me that uh, there is only one West team getting the playoffs? And if you had to pick one, who's it going to be? Yeah, you uh, you shocked me there. Um, I thought you would have definitely went with two, but I know you like the Rangers, Drew. Uh, but I, I still like the Astros, my guy. Uh, you know, they just keep overcoming all these injuries. They always do it. And their, their schedule, like the Dodgers, they have a lot of easy teams coming up. 18 games against the Detroit Tigers, Colorado Rockies, Kansas City Royals, Oakland Athletics. Fifth easiest strength of schedule left in all of baseball. 
Uh, that benefits a team that has some of those injury issues. And coming out the break, I mean, their first nine games, they get the Angels, Rockies, and A's. So uh, before they take on the Rangers at home in a three-game series. So I just – I still like the Astros, period. I mean, I do this every year, and I know it's not fun for our listeners. I know it's not fun uh, for people that hate the Astros. <laughs> but they continue to win for me clinching the AL West, and they usually clinch the AL. So – uh, another time, I'm going to go back on the Astros here in the AL West. I don't think they win the AL in general, uh, but the Rangers run differential, which I wanted to speak with you with, Drew. Plus 148, the second best in baseball, right there with the Braves, right there with the Rays. Uh, they have the most runs. Are, are the Rangers' offense able to sustain that in the second half of the season? Are they truly up there with the two best offenses in baseball? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm losing confidence in the Rangers pretty badly. I got to tell Thank you. you. Um, I don't know, man. That Jay, where where are you? You want you want to break the tie here? I, I lean Rangers, but again, I, I still think only one team's getting in. Or you think uh, we're crazy and that these two teams are both playoff bound? I lean Mariners. I think the Mariners. What? Are- <laughs> no. No. I don't yeah. think they're more likely than the Rangers or the Astros, but I think at 14 to 1 to win the AL West, they've got a relatively easy schedule, at least compared to the Rangers in particular, who have a brutal schedule coming up. Uh, they're just loaded with elite pitching. The offense, I think, mm. is going to get better. I think they can add at the deadline as well. And also, here's the thing is that they were 14 to 1 before they just had a four game series in Houston and they took three out of four there, which is pretty material. Uh, and they gained a couple games on the Astros while the Rangers were blowing games to the Red Sox and the Nationals. So there should have been a market adjustment there and there wasn't. So I think the Mariners are the best bet at the current prices. The Astros, I mean, yeah, it feels like they're going to make a run, but at the same time, like they just don't have the pitching at the moment. They have too many guys banged up. Alvarez coming back uh, will help. I don't know why Dusty Baker keeps on playing Maldonado over uh, I know. Diaz. Diaz is so much better yes. as a hitter and also uh, would be a stealth rookie of the year candidate if uh, if Dusty ever does make that switch. Uh, so I think the Mariners are the best bet uh, in the AL West. Uh, just quickly hearkening back to the AL East. The thing with Baltimore is that their schedule after the break, it goes, they have series against Miami, Dodgers, Rays, Phillies, Yankees, Blue Jays, Mets, Astros, Mariners, Padres. Like that's the schedule coming out of the break. That's absolutely brutal. It does get easier after that, but that's a tough one. So I think if you look at the Rays, if you say if you look at the Rays, Orioles, and Blue Jays, they all have three of the eight toughest schedules left in all of baseball. So that's you know, it stretches for those other teams. They're gonna go through brutal Brutal two-week stretches like that, too, I will say. Yeah, no, that's fair. The Orioles, they do have the tough schedule, but all these teams in the AL East, they have to play each other, which makes it tough for everyone. I think the Blue Jays are the best bet in both the division and in the AL in general right now. I think they will probably get one of the wild cards. I think Manoa, just any upside left in him uh, would be very welcome if you're placing that bet. And also, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he has the biggest gap in all of baseball between his actual numbers and his expected numbers. And that's supposed to regress to his benefit. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe he got himself going at the home run derby, but I think he is going to have a big second half uh, offensively. Uh, let's close out talking about a couple of awards markets. Uh, in terms of the AL Cy Young, I think this market is completely wide open. Framo Valdez is a plus 200 mm-hmm. favorite. He, I think that's arguable that he should be the favorite. I think that he's right in the mix with 
a lot of other guys. Garrett Cole right behind him, uh, who would have been, I think, shorter had he not with his final pitch before the break, given up a two-run homer for the Cubs. Yeah. Evan Gosman, who I think has probably been the best pitcher in the AL in terms of the underlying metrics, certainly he's lacking the field in Fangraph's war, but his ERA is over three. And then Shane McClanahan, 8-1. to one. Nate Yavaldi, 11-1. to one. Shohei, 12-1. to one. Don't think he's going to win. And then you get to some longer shots. Anyone you like in this market for? The only person I have a bet on is Garrett Cole. And I got him at 4-1 to one early in the season. I'm not feeling super confident about it because I've been considering is Gosman or McClanahan the better bet. Obviously, McClanahan's going to get the wins. He already has 11 of them tied for the league best because – He's a part of the team's best record with the Rays. Uh, but I'm with you. I think Gosman has been the best pitcher here. I'm taking a shot, though, on Otani. Jay, I know you said you don't think he is. He's expected to pitch against Houston coming out of the break. If he does miss one start, I don't think it's going to be the biggest deal in the world. He doesn't get the innings pitched that the other guys have because of his load management. But there is going to be a season, and this perhaps could be. I mean, we're talking about Fran, Framber Valdez is the favorite right now to win this award. It's open. And uh, if there's going to be a season where Otani is going to be finished top two or three in this award and voters say, man, I'd love to be a part of a record-setting year voting a guy to win MVP and Cy Young on the same season, I could be a part of that, vo- that voting process. Uh, guys may take that, uh, in my opinion. But Otani, he's been phenomenal with the strikeouts, ERAs, runs allowed, whip. I mean, he's top 12 in the AL in so many different categories. And going through the order for the first time, the best pitcher in all of baseball. A 115 batting average. He's allowed 15 hits and 131 at bats. So I do think he has a chance. I do think there's value here, but I think the best bet on the board is Kevin Gosman at plus 350. Uh, Angels would obviously need to make the playoffs. And then going one and nine in the last 10 games entering the break didn't do them any help. Uh, so, you know, Otani is going to have to pitch and hit home runs, which he's been doing all season. But it's Gosman and Otani in this market for me with a previous ticket on Garrett Cole. Yeah, pretty surprised Gossman's not the favorite in this market considering he leads in war and XFIP. Mm, a little weird. Uh, don't exactly uh, understand the uh, the the lack of sentiment there. That could flip before uh, we get to the end of the month of July, in my opinion. Um, AL Rookie of the Year race, wide freaking open. <laughs> Do you think the award comes down to the guys who are at the top uh, between Josh Jung, uh, Yoshida, and Gunnar Henderson? Yeah, I mean, I, I like all three of these guys. It was kind of hard doing all my preparation and thinking about what I've seen from these guys to pick a clear guy that's the best bet here. But uh, for the maybe the first time on the show, second time, I'm probably going to say this: the favorite is probably the best bet as of right now. I mean, Josh Jung has pretty much done everything asked for him for Texas. He has 97 hits in 88 games, averaging over a hit a game, 19 homers, 56 ribbies, 280 batting average, all those things I just mentioned ranked top 32 in all of Major League Baseball, which is very impressive for a rookie. We don't have to say that. Uh, but Yoshida's doing similar things with 95 hits in 78 games, but with fewer games played, his numbers obviously don't reflect what Josh Jung has done. Jung's higher, uh, war is higher than his, uh, and Texas is in position to make the playoffs as opposed to a team like Boston who, uh, with their five-game winning streak, their postseason chances may be a little inflated, in my opinion. So, I like Jung here. I mean, Gunnar Henderson's been awesome, but his numbers are nowhere near uh, these two hitters who are averaging over a hit per game. So uh, give me the Texas Ranger, Drew. But this is probably the most, my least confident bet out of the whole show that we've talked about. Yeah, 
I think uh, Josh should be the favourite uh, at plus one twenty five. I don't mind that. I don't think it's far off fair price, but and he's just he's just steady. He's just rock solid. Yeah. Uh, he's pretty low variance, and I think he will be the default winner if it's at all close between, particularly between him and Yoshida. Then uh, Josh will win just because Yoshida's not really a rookie. Uh, so I think that will be the tiebreak <laughs> there. Gunnar Henderson uh, is a strange player, and he he is in this race because he got incredibly hot for one week where he was the best player in baseball and that has propped up all of his numbers uh he may have made some adjustments where we'll see more of that in the second half uh so he's definitely live he can absolutely win this but i'm betting on a long shot in this award and given that the top three are relatively uninspiring uh this Mm -hmm. is the type of market where you you should be looking for long shots and to me uh, it's a bit from left field, more from shortstop, literally. Uh, the best long shot to me is Anthony Volpe, where okay. I don't think people have really keyed yeah. in on this necessarily, but he made an adjustment to his swing and his stance on June 13th. And since then, he's got an OPS over 900. He is on pace for 25 homers, 30 steals, playing every game as shortstop for the Yankees, who are likely going to make the playoffs. Uh, he's been batting 300 since that change. He is an elite defensive shortstop. And also, he plays for the Yankees. So if he's got the best case, he's going to win, and he's 50-1. to 1. His war numbers are outstanding because of his defense. And he's going to have enough of the counting stats, I think, where if he does get hot... Uh, then he can make a run at it. It's He's got a bit of distance uh, that he needs to make up on uh, Josh Jung in particular, but I think that he can do it, certainly relative to 50 to 1. I think he should be more uh, in the 20 like to 1 range. He's coming from a little way back with the OPS, but he can make up that gap. So uh, Anthony Volpe is uh, my bet. I absolutely love that. I'm going to place that bet today. Uh, like that's, that's He's been hitting over 300. I mean, I watch a lot of Yankees baseball here. A lot of people are Yankees fans up near Connecticut. Uh, but... Over 300, last 15 and 30 days. I mean, he steals base, like you said, too. He does so many things well. And, yeah, 50 to 1, it's, it's definitely mispriced. He'll close that gap. Yep. Anthony Volpe. All right. He's the guy. Anthony Volpe and Ons <laughs> two tickets. All right. We are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thank you, Vaughn Dalzell, for joining us today. Thanks to you, too, Drew Dinsick. Thanks to Ons uh, for getting a winner. Hopefully, she can get another one. Coming up as well, if you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. From Jay Croucher, we'll speak to you soon. Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.